Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I just got back from Africa on Tuesday. People ask the question, well, what, do you, what do you do in Africa? Uh, what's taken place is that in 2003, we went over there and planted a whole bunch of churches. And uh, the churches, there's 21 churches total and 21 schools that are over there. And what takes place now is we're building a seminary uh, to train the pastors and to train the teachers. So there's an American pastor that goes from here to Africa once a month now, uh, and all the pastors come together, and then we teach uh, for 32, 35 hours uh, these pastors to train them um, uh, to train them to pastor their churches and, and to train them the Bible, to teach the Bible to them. And I will tell you that it's a great blessing in, in regards to uh, the teaching that takes place, because they don't have... Uh, a library. They don't have a lot of information. In fact, the information that they receive is from our church, is from sending pastors from America over there. And then we give them those resources and those things. So as we sit in a group, as I sit in a group teaching them for 32, 35 hours, uh, I tell you, we just open up the Bible, lots of questions come up, lots of answers come up. We just kind of feed off of each other as wisdom as we try to say, what does the Bible, what does the Bible say? So I just want to say thank you so much for praying for me. Thank you for allowing me to go because it is a, a huge ministry that is producing a lot in Africa and a lot of souls are being saved as a result of what is taking place there. So for the next two weeks, um, I will be doing a series called JBC's Mission. My uh, topic over there was, hey, we're going to teach you what is the church's mission and uh, so for 32, 35 hours, we said, this is what the church's mission is. This is what the Bible says the church's mission is. And every year, it's good to open up our book as well and say, well, what's Jefferson Baptist's mission statement? Uh, what does Jefferson Baptist do? What do we exist for? What is our aim? What is the heartbeat of everything that we do? So for the next two weeks, we're going to be going over that. And on the back, you will see Jefferson Baptist's mission statement um, in detail with all the details on the back. Uh, Pastor D wrote that um, in the early 90s, and it is still true today. It is still what drives our church. It is still what identifies our church. It is our mission. It is a heartbeat. So just looking at the back of it, just kind of at the top, this is kind of sums it all up in, in one sentence. Jefferson Baptist Church is growing to be a great church because it is pursuing the great commission by obeying the great commandment. And then you see it broken down. JBC is I love you, church. We are continually saying to you, uh, saying I love you to God, to each other, to the greater body of Christ, to those lost people around us, and to the whole world. So to just sum Jefferson Baptist mission statement up in one word, we'll just put it right in our notes. The foundation of JBC's mission statement is to love God and love others. Love God and love others. If somebody asks you, what's JBC all about? You can just say it, oh, you love God? And love others. Because if you love God and you love others, everything else will take place. The passage that drives our mission statement is Matthew twenty two thirty seven. just want to read it, and then we'll go through it. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost most commandment. The second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law of the prophet. If you want everything done, just obey those two commandments. There's 600 laws in the book of Leviticus and also through Exodus and the Pentateuch. There's a whole bunch of laws that are there. And God says, Jesus comes and says, I want you to wrap all of them up just by obeying two. Because if you obey the two, everything else will be complete. 
In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, four of those laws in the Ten Commandments is about what? About loving God. Six of those laws in the Ten Commandments is about what? About loving others. So if you love God, you love others, you just completed the entire Ten Commandments. Do not steal. Well, we don't steal because we love people. If we love people, stealing is not going to take place. Do not have any graven images. Do not love anybody else besides God, anything else besides God. See, if you love God, all those things are going to take place. Everything hinges on these two commandments. In the Bible, Paul gets radical in regards to describing these commandments, and he says the whole law depends on it. And in Galatians, Paul says, you have completed the whole law if you take these two commandments and do these two commandments. So that is our mission statement, because everything will take place, including the Great Commission, if these two items are done in our lives and throughout our church. So as I mentioned before, we're going to work on two weeks on this, and we're going to talk about the first part, love God, the greatest commandment, love God. And the next week we'll talk about loving our neighbor. Let's look at loving God too. Loving God is desiring the person himself, not what he possesses. So I went to Africa um, they have a lot of issues, just like America has a lot of issues. And one thing that they start talking about as we talk about theological matters is they ask the question, you know, how much, who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven? Now, when they ask the question, who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven, what the question really is being asked, because people in their church and also even them, they're asking is how much can we sin and still get into heaven? Or how little can we do and still get into heaven? And then what we do is we start to bargain with God and we say, you know, is just accepting Jesus enough? Because I want my life. I want to do what I want. I want to be in control. Is accepting Jesus enough? And then theology is built like, if you just say the prayer, then heaven is, heaven is yours. No, no, heaven's not yours. You've got to have fruit. Well, what's fruit? Well, if you go Easter, to church on Easter, and you go to church on Christmas, then that's enough fruit that we'll get you having. Accept Jesus, go to church on Easter, go to church on Christmas, and then that should be the door that gets you into heaven. No, that's, that's not enough. You need to go to church at least once a month. You know, we've got to get in the door. What's it going to take to get in the door? Is it once a month that will get you into heaven? Is it twice a month that will get you into heaven? Is it accepting God and then going to church and bringing an offering? <laughs> then, then there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more fruit that's coming at you that's going to get into heaven. You go to church every week and do an offering and obey. Is that enough fruit that's going to get in heaven? These are questions that we continually, they were asking. We also continue to ask. As they're sitting there having a conversation, I was just listening to them have a conversation. Because in America, you know, this conversation comes up as well. And they looked at me after they had the conversation and, and uh, said, well, what do you think? And I said, anybody who believes in God to get to heaven is probably on their way to hell. Anybody who believes in God for the sole purpose to get to heaven is probably on their way to hell. And they look at me and say, well, well, then how do you get into heaven? It's like you don't believe in God to get into heaven. You believe in God to get God. That's why you believe in God. God is the jewel of heaven. You get eternal life with the Father. Look at the the, uh, when Jesus was dying on the cross and the thief was next to him. A sermon was being given, and a sermon was being given, it was Jesus' life, not his words. As Jesus was dying on the cross, the 
thief on the cross looked at him and said, this man has something. This man has something powerful. This man has something that I want. And do you know what that is? It is him that I want. And what does the thief say? Remember you, Jesus. Remember me when you get into paradise. Remember me when you get to your kingdom. And then Jesus says the word, today you will be what with me when we get to paradise. You see that that relationship has taken place. Look at the whole Old Testament. What's the Old Testament about? The Old Testament is that we do not have access to a holy God. We've sinned, therefore our relationship with God has been broken. And we cannot walk into the holy of holies. We cannot have access to God without a blood offering that takes place. But even after the blood offering takes place, there is only one person that can walk into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, because he has to be perfect, and he is not. Therefore, all the offerings take place. The priest walks in there into the Holy of Holies, and I will tell you that's the most intense time during the year, because man's relationship was broken with God. That's what the Old Testament is about. A relationship is broken with God because of sin. And then Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, puts all of our sins on his shoulders, and when he puts all his sins on his shoulders, the temple veil is in what? It's torn. You have full access to God. Full access to God. Jeremiah Burroughs says, it is a bad sign for a child to love his father because he gives him meat and drink and clothes and will leave him in an inheritance and not rather to love the very person of the Father. Now, see, we don't like this theology, and the reason why we don't like this theology is because we can't keep our life in God at the same time. It starts to confront us. We don't get into any bargaining room anymore. I want to keep my life, and I want to love Jesus. It's hard to keep your life and then all of a sudden say, I want to embrace you, Jesus, and keep this great relationship going while I continue to have an affair with you and and, and love others. We see it really, really confronts us. But when we accept God, what are we doing? We are accepting God for who he is and for what he has done. Heaven itself is not a saint's reward. Christ is the saint's reward. Many people leave Christianity, and we see that taking place in America. We see it all over the place. And what are the answers people are given when they leave Christianity? The answers that people are given is, God didn't answer my prayers. God didn't take care of my needs. God didn't change my situation. God is still allowing me to suffer, and any God that would allow me to suffer must not exist. Therefore, I no longer believe in God. So we come up with these answers as we're leaving Christianity. But what did Jesus Christ do? He came and he died and he gave us the ultimate gift, which is his son, that we can look back 2,000 years ago and say, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me with that simple act, and that simple act allows me to have a relationship with him. And if my whole world is falling apart, that cross says that he will always be with me. That cross says that he will always be connected with me. That cross says he will never leave me under any circumstances. I don't exist to bargain with God to get into the door of heaven. I embrace God as my father as he embraces me as my son, and the greatest reward I have on this world and the greatest reward that I'll have in eternity is my relationship specifically with him because if we go to heaven and Jesus isn't there, I will tell you that it is going to be hell. But if we go to heaven and Jesus is there, 
it will be glorious. Thomas Watson said, if a husband bestows a jewel on his wife and she so falls in love with the jewel as to forget her husband, he will take away the jewel so that her love may return to him. There's a consistent thing that takes place in our lives of, I don't know, things aren't going good. God's not blessing me. God's not doing this. I'm asking. He's not giving me this. I am mad at God. I am angry at God. And God said, what do you love me for? You love me because you've got the list of things that I'm required to do. <laughs> I am not your God. You are supposedly acting like my God. And if I don't meet your needs, then therefore there's no love. That, there's a love that breaks. Do you see what's taking place? The distinguishing mark of saving belief in God is love for God. Have you ever watched the movies? You know, there's going to be a time in the end days where Revelation says that we're going to probably die for our faith. And as we're dying for our faith, are we going to have enough strength? Well, watch the movies and see what every single movie, if there's a, a war movie or if anybody dies in the movie, see the reason why they die. Does anybody die for their car? Does anybody die for the house? Does anybody die for their money? Does anybody die for their love? <laughs> I just marked all the movies. That's what all the movies are about. We lay down our lives for our loved, and someday at the end times, we might have to be asked the question, do you love God? Are you committed to God? Because those are the questions that are going to be asked. You know, these are the lingo that we're talking about in the end days. Do you love God? And will you say yes or will you say no? And your life is going to depend on it. But the question is, do you love God? Not, do you have a heaven that's coming? And are you willing to lay down your life for a heaven? No. The question is, do you love God? The first two commandments in everything will come is to love God personally. So how do you love God personally? I'll tell you, the verse gives us the answer. Number three, love God with your heart. What is the heart? The heart is the seat of a person's affection and will, which we could say just the entire emotions of a person. Whatever touches the heart moves the person. The heart is a great nerve. In fact, I'll just put it this way. There's two nerves that you have. You have a nerve of the flesh, just kind of give an example. You have a nerve of the flesh, and then you have a nerve of the heart. So in other words, if I'm working on something, and I'm pounding a nail, and I hit my thumb with a hammer, what just took place? My entire attention just went to my thumb because my nerve has been hit. And as my nerve has been hit, I will tell you, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. I'm not thinking about what is going on. I'm thinking specifically about my thumb because nerves, when they are hurt, they bring complete direction too. Well, that's a flesh nerve. The other nerve we have is the nerve of the heart. When somebody puts you down, you completely focus and your entire attention, your mind starts to go to the put down that took place and you start to question yourself. Am I really what that person says? Why do you question yourself? It's because your heart is a nerve. And as somebody put you down, you felt that pain, and your entire direction starts going that direction. In fact, if somebody rejects you, what's going to happen? You hit a nerve, just like hitting your thumb as a flesh nerve. You've hit a nerve so deep that it's in your heart, that rejection carries pain, and therefore it carries your focus. It carries your attention. Well, those are negative aspects of being hurt with the nerve, but what if somebody praises you? Remember, heart is a nerve. 
And if a heart is the nerve of your emotion, somebody praises you, do you know what you're going to think about? Oh, my goodness. Boy, there's a blessing that takes place. There's something that feels good that takes place. My nerve has been hit in a good way. If somebody loves you, I'll tell you what, my nerve has been hit in a good way. We start to lift our chin up high. We start to get excited. Somebody loves me. Somebody cares about me. It's speaking specifically to the heart. And as soon as it speaks to the heart, which is the entire emotions, everything starts to follow. So here in my relationship, just to put it in perspective, with my wife, what do we do if I want to build a relationship? I want to continue to touch the nerves of her heart. What, how do I do that? I listen to her. I honor her. I cherish her. I adore her. Well, let's ask the question. If you want God and you want to fall in love with God personally, he needs to touch the nerve of your heart. How is he going to do it? How is it going to be capable? How is it going to happen? Here's how it is going to happen, how God touches the nerve and how you should respond to get the nerve touched. Letter A, commit to pray every single day. We underestimate the power of communication, but yet we know the power of communication. And when communication takes place, relationships take place. The purpose of prayer is to let God touch the nerve of your heart. I will communicate specifically to God in the process of communicating to him in prayer. I will tell you a relationship will be established. A relationship will take place. This is the first most commandment. Pray. Is that a first commandment? Yes, it's a first commandment in a sense that if I'm going to have a relationship with my wife, I've got to speak to him. If I'm going to have a relationship with God, I've got to speak to him. The purpose, if God's going to respond, I mean, if you think about prayers and we start praying, we start asking for things. Well, as you're asking for things, what's the purpose of asking for things? purpose of asking for things is so God can answer things so God, you can see God's hand at work. And if God says yes to something that you ask for, what have you seen? You've seen a God that's alive. You've seen a God that loves you. You see, the power of prayer is going to have the relationship, the communication, but then God wants to reveal himself in prayer. Ask, and I will give it to you. And when you get it, what are you supposed to do with it? Oh my goodness, God is alive. God is who he says he is. God loves me. If you see a miracle take place, what's the purpose of a miracle? A miracle that takes place as we pray and a healing takes place, something happens, we're supposed to go, God, you're alive. You have a relationship with me. You responded to me as I'm speaking to you. How can we love God personally and have zero prayer life? In fact, our love for God increases or decreases in regards to our prayer life being there or not being there. How else do you increase this love for God, this touching of the heart? Commit to read the Bible every single day. These are things that we consistently hear that we go over and over and over. But why is reading the Bible so important? Because you'll see one thing in the Bible. One thing in the Bible that everything points to. And you know what the thing is? Is that Jesus, God, left heaven. He came to earth, lived the life that you could not live, and then he died on the cross and he did it specifically for you, and then he rose again to have a relationship with you. That is a love letter written to you personally. A love letter written, written to you personally. And the whole Bible hinges on that one point. And when we read the Old Testament and then open the pages of the New, what should our response be as we're reading the Bible consistently? response should be, why me? 
What did I do? How come he'd choose me? How come he would love me? Why would he die for me? Why me? And do you see what happens? It touches the heart. It pierces the heart. The emotions start to be moved towards what God has done. And what do you do? You start going his direction and praising him. So how then can you have God touch the nerve of your heart? Another thing that we need to be doing is number C is we need to be commit to being obedient to the covenant relationship with him. The greatest jewel in a marriage relationship, the greatest jewel in a marriage relationship is exclusivity. And what I mean by exclusivity is my wife and my wife alone. That's when our love starts to increase. And if my commitment is to my wife and my wife alone, what happens to her relationship? She starts to give, away self to give herself away to me more and more and more and more. She starts to trust me with her thoughts. She starts to trust me with her character. She starts to trust me with everything of who she is. Why? Because we are in a covenant relationship that we stay inside of exclusivity. And as we continue to grow in a relationship with exclusivity not outside, not break that covenant relationship, our relationship grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And if we do not have exclusivity, then our relationship goes further and further and further apart. That's why adultery completely breaks the relationship because it starts to grow further and further apart. You've broken the bonds of exclusivity. Well, exclusivity with God is the same way. In fact, the marriage relationship is to show you how you have a personal relationship with God is do not have any other gods before me. What's he saying? Have your heartbeat exclusivity with me and me alone and you expose yourself to me and God then exposes himself to you. And that is when the relationship grows. That's why we get comments all the way through the word. Do not love the world or anything in the world for the love of the world. The love of the Father is not in you. What are we doing? We're having an affair. We're breaking a relationship. A relationship with God is not exclusive with just God alone. We're bringing other people into, other things into our relationship. So how do you grow this love for God? Be committed to be obedient to the covenant relationship with him. You open up the word and say, God, I have a covenant relationship with you. I will listen to what the word says. I will obey it. That's why we obey it. Obey it so God will be proud of us? No, obey it so we can get to know God more and more and more and more inside that relationship. Let's continue to work through the verse. How do you love God personally? We said, love God with all your heart. But what's the next one? Number four, love God with your soul. Now, what is the soul? It's the seat of a person's breath, life, and conscience. So just to kind of wrap it up, because I just got these through the Greek, um, um, is soul is your entire being. Whenever it talks about soul, you're saying, I love you with my entire being. I'm alive in my whole life loves you. I talk about my cows a lot. The reason why I talk about my cows a lot is because I love my cows. And you ask me the question, how do you love your cows? How do you enjoy your cows? Why do you, why do you think so much of them? I'll tell you kind of a warped reason why I like them so much is I'll just go out there and I'll just watch them eat. And that's where our relationship is at. I'll sit there and I will watch them eat and I'll have conversations with them. I'll scratch their ears. And, uh, and we have two dogs, two bigger dogs, one little dog, but two big dogs. They always come out there to watch them eat with me. And I will tell you, I'll be out there for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. My wife will call, what are you doing out in the barn? I said, I'm just watching my cows eat. But I will tell you that watching my cows eat has come to a new enjoyment in regards to my dogs. 
The reason why is because my dogs don't only like watching the cows eat. My cows like smelling the, my dogs like smelling the cow's breath. And what they do when they eat is they, they will burp, and they burp. I will tell you that gas literally comes out, and my dogs just love to inhale that gas. And sometimes they get a little wobbly, and I say, you know, you guys get, 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 out, of, get out of the gas a, a, a little bit. In fact, this is, you know, one of the, um, one of the arguments of the global warming is that cow gas, well, you can be rest assured that in my house there's no global warming that's going to take place because my dogs inhale all the gas that has taken place with, with, with my cows. But what does breath say? Breath says, I am alive. Breath says, I exist. What does life say? Life says, I am alive. Life says, I exist with everything. What does conscience say? It says, I am alive in my conscience. It is your entire being. And all the way through Scripture, we see my soul, my entire being yearns for you in the book of Psalms. My entire being thirsts for you. You see David mentioned, as a deer pants, so my soul, my entire being longs for you. How do you get your soul, your entire being, to long and thirst for God? This is a commandment. I want to long, I want to thirst for God. How do you do it? Is there any principles that take place? Well, these are principles that you hear consistently from our church and from the pulpit. But let's look at them again. I want my entire being to long for God. Letter A, commit to God in worship. When you bow down with your knees and you close your eyes and you fold your hands, what are you saying? You're saying, my entire being is committed in praising you and you alone, and the world is not there. That is how we build a love relationship with God. Letter B, commit to serve him. I was in Costco yesterday with my daughter, Maya, and as I was in Costco, um, she, we passed the flowers, and we said, hey, we should... we." My daughter said, I should buy, we should buy mom flowers. I'm taking full credit for this, just to let you guys know. But she's the one that said, I should buy my, we should buy our mom flowers. So sure enough, what do we do? We end up purchasing flowers. And uh, again, I can't take credit. My daughter's the one that suggested it. But what am I doing? I'm loving, all right, what is my daughter doing at this time? What me and my daughter are doing during this time? We're loving our mom and my wife with money. We're loving our mom and our wife with, with time, with energy. What we're doing is we are grabbing a hold of things that are outside there that say, I want to bless mom or I want to bless my wife. And we're using our resources for the purpose of doing it. God has given us the Great Commission and in the Great Commission, what's it for? To increase our love relationship with God. I serve you for the purpose of taking the resources and using them for their good and also for your glory. The serving is increasing the love relationship that we have. Yeah, because it's a statement that my whole soul, my breath, life, and conscience, not just my conscience or not just my mind, but everything about me is yours. And therefore, the resources are being picked up and then handed to you. Last one, how do you love God personally? Number five, love God with your mind, and the mind is the seat of reasoning and understanding. Loving God with your mind is the ability to discern God's will, God's work, and God's heart. 
In other words, to ask the question, am I into what God is into? Am I connected with what God is doing? Now, you might think, well, how does that have anything to do with a relationship? Went to Africa last week, as you guys know, and I FaceTimed, called FaceTime my wife and my daughters. And what does that conversation look like when we talk? The conversation is, how are you doing? What's going on? How are the dogs doing? How are the cows? How's your job? That's my conversation to them. And do you know what their conversation to me is? How is Africa? How are the pastors doing? How is Emily? How is Nicole? They give us these boring lists. Have you ever heard these conversations that take place when we're separate? There's just a consistent boring list of I want to take information of what is going on at home because I'm not there. And my family wants to take information of what is going on over here because they're not there. And then at the end we say, I love you. And then we say, goodbye. We are very into what has taken place on the other side if we love. If we are in love, we're very into with what has taken place in other people's lives. And we will ask those questions. So a loving relationship with God, you need to be into what he's doing. You need to be into what is going on. You need to be into what is important to him. What is on his heart? What has taken place with his movement of the Holy Spirit? I mean, that is a relationship. In fact, you can ask the question, do I have intimacy with God? One of the answers we can come up with is, am I into what God is into at all? Am I doing what God wants me to do at all? Am I excited about what God is accomplishing at all? Am I asking those questions? A heartbeat of a relationship, which is every relationship, is to know exactly what the other person is doing, even when you're not there. So if you want to know what God is doing, because I don't see him, what God is doing, here, here's a sense of first step to take. A, commit to know him by being at church. God does all his work to go into church. He does all his work by the church. All his work through the church. And when you show up at church, and you show up at church every single week, what are you going to see? You're going to see it, God's hands working through individuals. You're going to see God's hands working through the body. You're going to see God's hands working through somebody who was lost, but now is saved. And do you know what you're going to do? You're going to get excited about the work of God. You're going to get excited about what he's doing. In fact, you want to see more and more and more what he's doing. And that's when the heartbeat of relationship is going to start taking place. Letter B, commit to know him by fellowshipping with other believers. God speaks powerfully through people. God works powerfully through people. In fact, we are his voice. We are his hands. And if I want to know him, I want to see God living specifically in you. And when I see God living specifically in you, what do I do? I shake my head and I say, God is absolutely amazing. You see, God died, God rose, and I see the beauty of a relationship there, but I can also see the beauty of a relationship of God working specifically in each of your lives, and so can we. So do I love God personally? Your whole life on earth will be affected by how you answer that question. Do you love God personally? Your whole life on earth and even in eternity will be affected by you, how you answer that question. So if you want to love God personally, as we consistently hear from the church, just looking back 
through the notes. Pray every single day. Read the Bible every day. Commit to being obedient to a covenant relationship with him. Don't step out of it. Commit to worshiping him. Commit to serving him. Commit to know him by being at church and watching him work. Commit to knowing him by watching him work also through individuals. Genuine love for God is intelligent, feeling, willing, and serving. and involves sensitivity, intent, and extreme amount of action for that relationship to grow. And the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Everything about you will be affected in regards to how much you do. Father, we just thank you for loving us. We know that we could not love you, God, if you did not first love us. God, that is a a gift, God, that should... um, that consume us, a gift that should touch our hearts so deep that our lives, God, lay down, God, for your service. I pray that you would increase that love to every individual that is in this room, that you would increase their love for you, that you would increase my love for you, that you increase the church's body love for you. God, it is a commandment that gives us life, and I just pray that it was a commandment that none of us or reject. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.